Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast, brought to you by GoSeed. I'm McCain Vogel, Assistant Editor at Cover Crop Strategies. In this episode, Tyler Williams and Zach Larson, two sustainable systems agronomists with Bayer, share details on a program called Foreground, which aims to provide support to farmers who are adopting or expanding regenerative agricultural practices. All right, so I have Zach Larson and Tyler Williams with me. If you guys want to just start out and kind of tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves, just a brief introduction and, and maybe how you got into agriculture and, and sort of where you're at now, how you got there. Yeah, I guess I can go ahead and, and start it off. So I'm Tyler Williams. I'm uh, one of the sustainable systems agronomists within the, the Bayer Sustainable Agronomy Team. I'm located in Lincoln, Nebraska, and you know, really been kind of working with this program for about a year and a half now. And Formerly, I was a you know, field scientist within our seed production group, and then I spent a number of years at the University of Nebraska, really focused on climate and agriculture. And that's kind of where most of my background has come from, is kind of the weather climate side and then applying the, the agronomic component to it. And I grew up on a ranch in the, the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. So now, now I live in the, the, the big city. And Tyler's counterpart, Zach Larson. And I'm in State College, Pennsylvania, so in the middle of the state. And my kind of journey into soil health started after I decided to switch directions career-wise a little bit. And after getting my master's degree in soil science, I started with the Natural Resources Conservation Service. And I was fortunate to get on just at a time when they were really starting to, I think, think about and talk about soil health. And, and we really had a lot of kind of great starts with, you know, a lot of great people from that organization at that point in time. And it really got me started in wanting to learn more and wanting to work more with folks. And then after moving to Penn State Extension for a while, I then landed here at Bayer about a year and a half ago as well, supporting their carbon program as a sustainable system of agronomist. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And, and uh, just for everyone, I think what we're going to be talking a lot about today is this program Bayer has called Foreground. And before we get into it, obviously, I think all of our listeners understand the common issue that a lot of growers have of you know wanting to adopt new practices, but there's a lot of hurdles around that. Sometimes it's financial hurdles. Sometimes it can have to do with the weather, the region that you're growing in. But I guess, why don't we start out if one of you kind of wants to just give us a brief synopsis of kind of what foreground is for those who have not heard of it, and then we can kind of go from there. All right. Yeah. So really foreground, the purpose is kind of to address all the things that you mentioned. We started this about a year ago, really kind of focused on three areas. One, the the agronomic and sort of the science behind what we're doing. A lot of what, you know, what Zach's expertise are in, you know, the the science behind soil health and cover crops. And, and especially that's kind of what our team's designed to do is how can we help agronomically make some of these things happen? So we have kind of a team focused around that, resources, content, things that we can put together to help growers do that. Um, the other piece and that we hear a lot about, as you mentioned, was sort of the, the economics and sort of some of the barriers financially up front that it takes to, to be a part of it. So we work with a number of folks and try to collaborate and bring discounts and resources and services or tools that partners can kind of come in and say, hey, you know, we can provide this service to growers. Um, they, you know, allow our growers to have discounts for some of those services. And again, just to help them take that next step and, and reduce that barrier to entry. And then the last thing, you know, that usually gets a lot of the buzz and the attention, at least as of late, is, is sort of that revenue stream or that added straight income that can come from, from adopting these practices. And so that's, again, kind of another key component of foreground is bringing those revenue opportunities that 
know, can get growers over those hurdles to that it might take to start something or help reduce the risk or take off a little bit of the sting if, if you're going to make that first purchase. So we talk a little bit more about that, but that that sort of new revenue is, is really kind of something new that's really taken off over the last couple of years and really gets a lot of the interest. And so you mentioned started about a year ago. Is that how long it's been like officially up and running or? Yep. So the foreground platform has been sort of what, you know, version one has been going since uh, middle of August of 2022. Okay. Um, we've had a Bayer Carbon program and a pilot program for a couple of years, which is, again, kind of a piece of foreground. But really, the purpose is kind of that larger, broader platform that, you know, it doesn't cost anything. You know, it's sort of kind of come in, get in and see and explore where growers want to be. So now that you guys are about a year into it, I'm kind of curious what types of customers, and maybe it's a little of both, but are these mostly people that are kind of brand new to cover crops and no-till? Are you seeing a lot of people who've maybe tried it before, but just need that extra kind of help to make sure it's done right and that they're not going to end up paying for it in the long run? Yeah, for really what I see, we get a little of both. Um, We have a number of them that are historic growers as well. Part of our initial program allowed some historic adoption of some of those practices. So that helps, right? We really get a lot of interest, at least I do, from growers that have either been doing it or been thinking about it and how can they take that next step and that next level. And Zach's, you know, really kind of the one that provides a lot of that information to them, but it's, we get a big range and especially now that there's more and more buzz around the income and the revenue from it. Sure. And these are growers from all over, or is it kind of one main region you're seeing a lot of? Pretty much, you know, anything between uh, Nebraska, North Dakota, over to, you know, all the way to the East Coast. That's the primary area. For foreground, you know, you can be anywhere and sign up. So we do get people from coast to coast that, that, in, uh, that sign up for it. But we get a lot of interest from the corn, soy, wheat rotation type folks. And, and Zach might have something, some else to add to that, but that's kind of generally where I see him. No, I agree. I think you did it pretty well, Tyler. So what are some of the things, like what are some of the challenges and I guess opportunities too that a lot of these farmers are kind of facing, like some of the more specific things that you guys start to help them with when they start these programs with you? I think what we're seeing a little bit in terms of challenges, and I think this is now maybe the result of the success of getting the word out, of getting education out from the success of extension, the success of popular press, even the success of farmers talking to other farmers is that it's very easy to kind of get excited and maybe emulate someone else's system rather than stepping back and figuring out what's right for your system. We've kind of seen this going into it sometimes is that that you have um, someone that may not have a goal in mind or may not have uh, a way to measure what they want to get to. It really helped out doing things, all these means now in also offsetting the financial risk that there's just kind of this ability to try it, but there's Maybe we're not asking that right question of what am I actually trying to solve by doing cover crops? I think that's been one of the ways that we sometimes have to walk people through and kind of help people out is figure out what are you actually trying to achieve and how are you going to kind of measure success when you get to that point, one year in, five years in, whatever it is, kind of help you look back at what you just did and and say, hey, am I actually getting to where I want to be by doing this? Or do I have to change course in some manner, plant something different? change how we're managing what I'm doing. I think that's one of the biggest things. It's not always necessarily a very technical thing. It's just getting folks to think about their system and what's going to work for them and address the needs that they have. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, I mean, you mentioned people wanting to emulate other systems that they've seen. Obviously, we all know 
you know, no two farms are the same. What, oh, I'm kind of curious how you guys have approached the difference in climate of different clients. I know, Tyler, I think you have some background in meteorology, kind of extreme weather systems too. So how does that kind of change the way that you guys look at some of these systems and whether you know, you're know you in Nebraska with one client or you could be somewhere else that's maybe not as dry? How, how does that kind of factor in? Yeah, I mean, it all fits into to a little bit, even what, what Zach mentioned, you know, as far as the system geography plays a huge role in it. You know, you get further west in Nebraska, no-till's pretty commonplace. When, uh, when moisture is limiting, no-till may, has made a lot of sense for a long time. Now we have new technology, new tools that maybe we can, you know, and that's, I think that's what we're doing is expanding those options to other areas. But weather, weather plays a huge role. And almost every instance when we're working with growers, weather's one of the components of the reasons why they want to adopt some of these practices. The benefits you can get from keeping that ground covered, you know, having that extra residue, holding that soil in place for various weather extremes that we get is all on the front of their mind. And so it's really a- adapting what they want to do, the species they want to grow, dealing with that residue, how much residue is on the surface, if it's cool and wet in their area, you know, all, all those things all play a part of it. And weather's a lot of times a driver and sort of a key factor in the success. And, you know, one of the things that, that we try to offer with our program is to try to be flexible on the, with the carbon program in particular, be flexible when, when sometimes things don't go well with weather because it just because it does make such a big difference. Have you guys seen a lot of growers this season dealing with the drought? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So a lot of areas, the non-irrigated areas, of course, if that cover crop grew too long, it can use up some of that moisture and still use moisture. And I'm dabbling into to Zach's expertise here a little bit, but there's still plants. They still have to manage them sort of that added management to the system that has to be taken care of when droughts come along or too much rainfall, right? And then, then we want cover crops to use up some of that moisture when it's too wet. But maybe I'll uh, let Zach jump in here on part of that one. Well, I've been, I guess, fortunate to work kind of the whole gamut. I try to really, at some point, kind of geographically just step back and say, I don't, I don't know this area well enough to make really concise recommendations. But I definitely, in this year in particular, have been working with folks ranging from so dry that cover crops are an issue to so wet that cover crops are really a tool to manage moisture. So we can certainly be across that entire spectrum. I think when we're dealing on that side of trying to manage, or we're going to be water limited and think about that cover crop stealing moisture, so folks know those soils and those soils can even change within the farm. You can have those kind of bottom grounds that hold moisture and you can then have ridges that, you know, we always say you're three days away from a drought. So part of it comes down to, I think, one, selecting the right thing. And we do know that some species use more water than others. Our, our small grains do seem to be a little bit more water hungry going into the spring. And I'm just starting to kind of learn more on that personally, but we're going to see differences in species. So I think just being keen on species. And of course, if we're in those areas where water is really a concern, we maybe we shouldn't be planting at such a heavy rate. Let's put less plants in the ground to transpire less moisture. So we can be thinking about the rate at which we're planting things. And of course, when do we choose to terminate those cover crops? And this was a year where I saw folks that made that commitment to terminate a cover crop early. I think they did pretty well. But they made that decision because they were stepping back. They were looking at where they were with their moisture, you know, soil moisture, and they were looking kind of at the forecast and seeing that where they wanted to be in terms of planting and where that moisture was and making that decision to terminate early. 
I've seen that completely go the opposite way where maybe you weren't looking and you made that decision to, that you, you had a larger cover crop in your field and you make that decision to terminate and all of a sudden it rains for the next five days and now you don't have this cover crop sucking moisture out of the ground. So I think that can be a challenge. You really do need to take an adaptive management perspective with cover crops and particularly when we terminate it. The other kind of side of it, if we think about no-till, we think about the advantages of cover crops and we can change how I manage this. We can, we can have ones that winter kill, we can change our termination date. But between those two, and no-till and cover crop, that residue, I, I, a lesson I've consistently learned is we undervalue residue. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we get to oh, a half inch of residue, it just does wonders in terms of low rate evaporation at our soil surface. Can cut in about half just when we get to that about that half inch of residue mark. So we undervalue that and we undervalue having that cover and what that means in increasing infiltration as well. And uh, there's so many long-term systems I've been to where I can pull back that residue and see just this really wonderful soil structure right there at the surface. And if we're not getting water in the surface, that top fraction of an inch, we're not going to get it in. We need to have that surface be good. I've seen those wonderful systems where it just soaks up water right away. You go and find a spot where it's not exposed, where that soil has been hit by raindrop impact, crusted over, but you just know the water's not getting in there. We, we, everybody uses the analogy of the soil being a sponge, right? So, I mean, we've heard that tons and tons of times, but if you're sealing off that surface, you might as well just wrap that sponge up in saran wrap. If you can't get it past that very, very small fraction at the surface, you're not gonna, it's not going to move in. I, I think from what I've seen and what I've learned over time is we just don't value a layer of residue enough. And I always see folks removing residue and maybe not accounting for what it's truly doing in terms of our water retention. Again, I think we're just kind of walking away from a really positive thing we have there right at the soil surface. We'll come back to the conversation in a moment. But first, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, GoSeed. Plant GoSeed's fixation Bonanza clover and save up to $37 per acre in fertilizer input costs. At a trial conducted at the Ewing Demonstration Center in Illinois, fixation Bonanza clover fixed nearly double the nitrogen per acre over Dixie Crimson clover. Fixation Bonanza clover is the cover crop to improve your soil health, increase cash crop yields, and make a positive impact on the planet. Visit www.fixationclover.com to learn why Go Seed is the industry leader in cover crop breeding and research. And now, let's get back to the conversation with Tyler Williams and Zach Larson. I know, obviously, like you said, there's a lot of factors that go into what makes a certain cover crop successful, but were there any one or two that kind of jumped out at you this year that you saw do really well, specifically in, in drought? Our legumes, I think, tend to do okay when it gets to be dry, at least in, in sucking up less moisture than our small grains. I don't think we're looking for performance just, just as much as not having that negative impact. I think the small grains can be most challenging in some of these scenarios. Of course, they're the easiest to get in the ground. So it is sort of a lesser of two evils sometimes, depending on when you can actually get those cover crops planted. I'm also interested, you brought up no-till a little bit. Have you seen just in your work, not necessarily specifically with foreground, but just over the years, seeing no-till and seeing cover crops, can we talk a little bit about kind of the relationship between the two and, and if you've seen 
you know, more success when they're being done together, or if you think that depends where you're at, whether you should be doing one or the other? I've been very fortunate to work around a lot of folks that have been very early to the game in terms of no-till and, and very early into the game in terms of cover crop. And I would say all the more at, at sort of advanced management strategies with cover crops. It really was interesting because I think in the maybe the mid-2000s, I particularly saw after getting towards 2010, where the cover crops really started to come on as a, as, as a management tool that was more than just controlling erosion. Um, as that time really started to come on and people, I think, really trying to manage cover crops for building soils, you saw so many long-term no-tillers that just came out and said, all of a sudden I'm seeing this benefit I would have never expected. So, you know, if the question is, do they go hand in hand? They certainly do. But it, it was really interesting to see folks that have been no-tilling for 10, 20 years that just kind of hit this plateau. And, and then all of a sudden cover crops gets worked into that system you know, on a regular basis and, and folks are coming back saying, I'm getting so much more in terms of my soil water behavior. I'm getting so much more in terms of building additional organic matter, solving a problem, you know, kind of giving me more value than I expected. So I think they go really well hand in hand. In terms of someone starting out, I think the one thing I would think about or, or suggest to folks is just to remember that this is a long game that you're playing. And all the folks that I've seen in popular press or being profiled in an article, where they are now is not where they were 10 years or 15 years ago. A lot of folks I've seen over that 10, 15 year period make a lot of change. And, you know, whether they're planting green now or, or doing uh, interceding now or relay intercropping or something really interesting, chances are they weren't doing that in the past. And chances are they weren't doing the same thing. Everybody has had that journey of taking kind of one step at a time, figuring one thing out to where I think they get some consistency out of it, and then trying to kind of make that next step at a next level. So I think you can approach this you no-till know, and cover crops in the same way, particularly for someone that's really kind of starting from square one. Start with the one thing you can kind of implement and be successful at, add something to your system, adapt that to what you're doing and just kind of keep on making those steps that we don't, I, I don't encourage folks to go all in at one time. There's plenty of time to learn and make these things work for your operation. Yeah, that seems like sound advice. Another thing, Zach, that I wanted to ask you about, I saw on one of your online bios, it kind of mentioned you've spent a lot of time working with the integration of alternate cover crops. What are some of these alternate cover crops and um, what makes them alternative, I guess? So the easiest start for many folks in the majority of where people start is, is with the cereal grains, cereal rye, wheat, oats. That's the most common start. And a lot of folks, I think, hit that point and they may never proceed. They may stay there for a while because that's kind of what works in their system and that's what they're willing to kind of make that step in. When you want to start adding things into this, you know, into your system. So to me, alternate is, is kind of anything beyond what's conventional for your area. I, the most logical step for most folks, if you're growing corn, is to get legumes in your rotation or in, in your mix of cover crops. And depending on where you are, I think that can be the challenge. And so that's kind of the first question asked, how do I get these things into my system? Fortunately, I think those doors keep on opening as folks keep on learning. So interceding has certainly become an opportunity. And as we're seeing, I think people get more savvy on the equipment end and figuring out how to, how to adapt equipment to their operation. 
I think that's going to be one great way to learn it. It's great to see what folks are doing with aircraft, drones, high clearance sprayers, all those sorts of things for getting it interceding and making it work. So I think that's one option for doing it. The the recommendation I have for folks wanting to go interceding is to have a really sharp pencil when it comes to your seed. I think there's some great legumes and great other species that can work in those systems, but I always want to pull people back more towards the very, they get up easy, they get up reliably, they work, and, and maybe not take the risk in terms of seed cost on some of those other ones that may be a little bit less, a little bit more of a risk. So I think that's the first one. I would always pull folks back towards the clovers that you know they're going to work, the brassicas that you're going to go to work, know they're going to work. And as you start kind of creeping up in seed cost and creeping up in those parts, in a broadcast scenario where we're really dependent on moisture, I'm going to hit the brakes personally, or at least encourage folks to hit the brakes or know what they're going to get into. If you put out a more expensive seed, it's dry. If whatever reason happens that that seed doesn't come up. So really, I think in those cases, you shoot for ones that you know are going to work. And crimson clover works really well. Radish works really well. Annual ryegrass works really well. The other thing that we're starting to, I think, could be a great opportunity, just more broadly, in our, the agronomic trend is to move soybean planting up to get soybeans planted sooner. I love this from a cover crop side. If we combine that with getting soybeans in the ground a bit earlier, getting maybe a maturity that's a little bit earlier to just open that window to drill in whatever you want. And then you can certainly almost shoot for the moon if you're putting up, knocking those seeds in the ground. I mean, I, I like having things like hairy vetch in there just because of the low seed end that it gives you in the spring. Probably one of the lowest carbon and nitrogen ratios you're going to have in being a prolific producer of nitrogen. So folks are asking me what's kind of the, the most guaranteed in front of corn. A lot of hairy vetch is probably a good answer just because of its carbon to nitrogen ratio by the time you terminate it. But that's only going to come if we are managing that the previous the previous fall. If, if you see that you're willing to get something in the ground sooner and maybe adjust the, the maturities that you're using to get a more certainty of putting something in the ground, that's that clearly can have some advantages there. So it's, it's working within the systems that people have and it also... I think just being willing to figure out where those places are that you can change your system to make those things work. Very important things. Yeah. One thing that, you know, Zach even kind of alluded to it. And one thing I've seen is, is the creativity of a lot of growers that, that sort of progresses the little bit longer they do it. They try to address the next challenge or the, the issue and they get good and then they add something next and add something next. And so I'm always amazed at sort of the homework and the creativity that a lot of the growers will do to get things to work in their system. And they're determined to make it work. And so they find ways through alternative crops or alternative planting methods, timing, all of those things just to just to make it work. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I mean, as, as an ag journalist, one of the coolest things for me is seeing a lot of the really innovative ideas that some farmers have, not just with what you're talking about, but I mean, I've seen all kinds of really innovative equipment ideas, right, of, of farmers just coming up with ways to kind of rig up machines that the way that's going to work right for their system. And so that's kind of a good segue to the next question. Speaking of equipment, I'm curious some of the specifics around, I know back to the foreground program, some of the specifics around the the help that you guys offer with like seed and equipment costs. So if I'm a farmer, what, what would I need to know about that part of the program? 
Yeah, so that's that's kind of a piece of program we try to again bring folks in that, like I mentioned, that can help them, you know, reduce those cost barriers. So Great Plains Ag is is one example where they provide discounts on box drills. If you're going into cover crops, you might need a box drill to seed that, right? And so they've kind of come forward and said, hey, we have seeding, a, you know, drills that you can seed your cover crops. They also have agronomists that work in this space and kind of can help on that that angle as well. And so we really just kind of want to bring folks like that to the table. Growers can come in, they can get that benefit just for being a foreground member, work with Great Plains dealer, whatever it might be. Same thing with ETS Soul Warrior through a strip till machine. Uh, you know, you can come in, you can get a discount on a unit if you're going to plan on purchase one, if you're going into the strip till program. So really that's, that's kind of the angle that we pull those things together. It's always changing. We're always adding new all the time. So that's one of the cool things we try to provide growers that sign up is blast out an email or an update saying, hey, we have a new new group collaborating with us. Here's the offer. Here's something that can help you do what you want to try on your farm. And then uh, another thing I kind of want to touch on before we get off the topic of foreground is the carbon program. I know that obviously carbon is I feel like one of the one of the subjects that there's been a lot more confusion on for a lot of farmers um, over the years. And so maybe you could kind of explain how the carbon program fits into the foreground program. Yeah. So, you know, kind of like I mentioned, you know, that one of the big pieces and sort of nuggets of foreground is the ability to find revenue streams. Carbon program is, is our main one at this time. We're hoping to add more and more of those, but, you know, so Bayer carbon program has been around for a few years now. We started a pilot in 2020 and then did a program kind of through 2021, 2022. And then now again, here in 23, we have options that, that we provide the growers if they want to adopt cover crops, no-till or strip-till, and you can get paid by the acre to do that. There's all sorts of confusion, and I think a lot of that comes because everyone does it a little different. A lot of people will pay by practice. If you do no-till, you get paid X amount, or it's paid on the amount of carbon that you sequester. So the more carbon that you sequester, the more you can get paid. So there's a little confusion on that just because that changes how programs are run and how programs are, are operating. Also, just the, the fact that it's a new and emerging market, I mean, you're sort of adding a new commodity to the, to the farm that is, is hard to see. You, know, you can't just see it up in the atmosphere. It's really hard to see in the soil and it's hard to measure across the field. So it's, it's a little, it's complex. And I think that it's really emerging in the amount of technology and the knowledge that people are gaining in this industry to, to again, do it and do it right and do it well and do it consistent. I think all those things adding together can help clear up some of that complexity. And I think Zach can attest to this. One of the things that what we spend a lot of time doing is explaining to growers how it works, right? Sort of the, even the whys behind it a little bit. So there's a lot of questions because it does get a, you know, a lot of headlines, gets again, some, sometimes not the best headlines, right? So because just because I think there's a lot of unknown to it. And once you understand it and talk through it, it, it makes a lot more sense. But it's still it's still a challenging and an emerging market that I think will continue to be shaped as we get better at it. So, you know, if I'm a farmer and I've been listening and, and so far this sounds like it's a program that I may be interested, what's sort of the first step or, or what's the first thing I need to know to get involved with it? Yeah, as far as our program, the, the best thing to do is, is go to BayerForeground.com. They can check out the website. You can sign up for an account and get on the platform where you can get those discounts. You can get access to, to the agronomy team. You can check out and check your eligibility if you want to sign up for a, a carbon program or a, another revenue stream program. We utilize Climate Field View, which is sort of the digital ag software within Bayer. So if you have to have a, a Field View account 
you can get one of those for free and create that. And then you can use those, that information, those credentials just to log into to foreground. So really that's kind of the connection to your farm to foreground and the ability to know what, what programs your fields are eligible for. Uh, but again, it's, it's pretty easy to check it out. Bearforeground.com. You can look at the website, scroll around. You can read all the good stuff that Zach writes and you can skip the, skip the stuff that I write on there. But, but then that's where you can go ahead and sign up and you can check out the, the sort of behind the, the wall of foreground and, and get a little bit more in depth. Fantastic. Guys, is there anything we haven't talked about yet that you, you kind of want to touch on here? I think, uh, I think we covered most of it. I always like to end with sort of a more broad question, hopefully a more fun question based on kind of what you guys are both working on. I'm curious, what's the most rewarding part of your job being an agronomist? It's definitely the ability to do what we like to do every day when we're chatting with growers, helping them solve the problems on their farm and bringing the ability to have some solutions to help them. Through our program, we can bring them the knowledge, but we can also bring them some of those opportunities that can help address some of those either economic or equipment barriers, whatever that barrier might be. So we kind of can bring some tools to them to help them to, to make the change that they want to do. And so that's by far the most rewarding when you can align all of those things and, and get something done beneficial on the farm. For me, I think it's kind of twofold. First off, every time I'm out doing something, uh, every time I'm working with someone or uh, doing work on my own and, you know, kind of see what the research is, you can do research on my own, you'll learn something. I don't think there's a single time I'm out there where there's something so many People that I've observed, been on their farms, you know, kind of been as mentors, you know, whether they knew it or not, that I've picked up along the way. It's been just absolutely phenomenal. And the second part is trying to get folks to maybe make that next step with whatever they're doing. When you do have someone that that is coming with a problem and you can see how cover crops fit into a solution to that problem, just to kind of watch that progression going from uh, particularly maybe soils that weren't that great to begin with to, to really getting much more function, much more value out of your ground. Um, the big picture of trying to kind of make everything work in terms of being productive, but also having these kind of, you know, there's also these positive benefits for both the farmer, you know, even the environmental benefits as well is, is a lot of fun at the end of the day to kind of fit all those puzzle pieces together. Awesome. Yeah. Good answers guys. And, and just thanks again for taking the time, especially Zach and I are on vacation. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time to chat with me today. And I'm sure all listeners are gonna enjoy this conversation. So thanks. Yep, thank you. Big thank you to Tyler Williams and Zach Larson for today's discussion. The full transcript of the episode will be available at covercropstrategies.com slash podcasts. Many thanks to our sponsor, Go Seed, for helping to make this Cover Crop podcast series possible. From all of us here at Cover Crop Strategies, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening and have a great day.